Whoa. All right, here we go. Well, good morning and welcome to Woodlawn. We are so glad that you're here. Um, my name is Farrah Camry. I'm the youth pastor here at Woodlawn, and I'm delighted and honored to be able to preach this morning as Joe preached at Worship at the Water. And so let me begin by saying Happy New Year. Yeah. So you have officially made it to 2022, and what better way to begin the year than by worshiping together and studying the Word of God together. And so for me, I love new, the new year. I always think it's a great chance to to restart. And, you know, as Carmen was talking about, sometimes we have these goals that we want to, you know, reach and do all these things, and sometimes we fall a little bit short. And so the new year is always a time to restart. And so um, maybe you had some goals for 2021. Maybe you wanted to read the Bible in a year and you fell a little bit short, or maybe you wanted to commit to being in a small group here at Woodlawn and, and maybe that didn't happen. Let me say, Happy New Year. It is a chance to restart. And so 2 Corinthians 5, 5.17 tells us that if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And so I truly believe that God has good stuff in store for us in 2022. And so here in this verse, Paul is reminding us that in Christ we're new. And so we don't have to be defined by last year's mistakes, sins, or failures. But God has good and new stuff in store for us this year. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so the good news is, is that you have a choice. We always have a choice. And so we can choose to, to fix our eyes on Jesus and allow him to wreck our lives for his honor and his glory. Or we can choose to focus on our circumstances and what's going on around us. And so again, we have a choice. Horatio Spafford was a prominent American lawyer, and he was well-known in the Chicago area, and him and Anna Larson were married, and they had four daughters. And so um, he invested in real estate north of Chicago, but the great fire of Chicago destroyed much of his sizable investment. And so he decided that he and his family should go on vacation, and they should go to Europe because he knew that his great friend, D.L. Moody, would be preaching there in the fall. And so unfortunately, Horatio Spafford got tied up with some business, and so he told his wife and their four daughters to go ahead and go, and that he would meet them there in England. And so in, on November 22nd of 1873, their ship was struck by an iron sailing vessel, and it sank in a matter of 12 minutes. And so nine days later, his wife Anna is the only one who survives, and she sends a telegram to her husband that says, Saved Alone. What if Spafford had allowed his circumstances to shipwreck his faith? What if he decided that a God who would allow something like that to happen is actually not a God worth believing in? Well, later on, Horatio sets sail for England, and as he's um, sailing over the water, the captain tells him, you are literally over the waters where your four daughters were killed. And that night, Horatio Spafford goes on to write the lyrics to the well-known song, It Is Well. You see, there's going to be some circumstances and things and trials that come up that are going to test our faith. And you may be asking, well, how do I know that? Well, because God's word tells us that. John 16, says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I, meaning Jesus, have overcome the world. James 1, 2 tells us to consider it pure joy when we face trials of many kinds. Trials are a part of life. But again, we have a choice. We can choose to allow them to wreck our faith. Or we can choose to fix our eyes on Jesus and allow him to wreck our lives for his honor and his glory. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at 1 Timothy chapter 1. And so Timothy was a young man who responded to Christ's call to build his church. And so in spite of that calling and his close friendship with Paul, Timothy was easily discouraged. And maybe that's you this morning. 
The reality is, is that our circumstances are always changing. I mean, if we choose to base our life based on what's going on around us, we are going to live in a roller coaster. But the truth is, is that God's character and God's goodness and his faithfulness and his mercy are the exact same on the absolute greatest days of your life and on the absolute worst days of your life. His character is unchanging. And so the last time Paul had been with Timothy, he encouraged him to stay on and to continue to serve in Ephesus. And so apparently Timothy had some physical problems as well as periods of discouragement. And you kind of get the impression that maybe the church was not giving their, their pastor the proper respect he deserved. And so in 1 Timothy 4.12, Paul says to Timothy, Hey, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But you, Timothy, but you, church, set the example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Now, in Timothy's defense, Ephesus was not the easiest place to serve. The city was devoted to the worship of Diana, who was, this, who was, the, um, who was involved with, you know, um, sexual immorality and all that kind of stuff. So that stuff was running rampant in that city. And so Timothy has two options. He can allow his circumstances to shipwreck his faith and in doing so forsake the very call that God has placed on his life. Or he can choose to allow God to wreck his life for his honor and his glory. And so this morning, if you would, take your copy of God's word and turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. <clears throat> Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 20% of shipwrecks occur in deep water. So that means the other 80% occur close to the shore. And so the reality is, is that we don't have to be far from God to shipwreck our faith. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we see basically Paul's testimony. He tells us that he was a violent man, a persecutor, a blasphemer. And so Paul was definitely far from the Lord. In fact, in Acts chapter 8, Saul was standing there giving approval to the stoning of Stephen, who became the first Christian martyr. And in Acts chapter 9, Saul went as far as to the high priest, to get letters to the synagogue so that if he found anyone who belonged to, to Jesus, who belonged to the way, that he could take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And so Saul was not just far from God, but he was living in direct opposition to the Lord. And so it wasn't until Paul was on the road to Damascus that he was blinded by a light. And in this moment, Saul came face to face with Jesus, who ultimately wrecked his life. And changed the trajectory of his life all because he was willing to surrender. And so how do we prevent ourselves from shipwrecking our faith? Point number one is this. We must be willing to surrender. What we aren't willing to surrender, the Lord cannot use. What we aren't willing to surrender, what we're not willing to, to bring to the light, the Lord cannot use. And it wasn't until Paul surrendered 
Um, that he became, that he started out as one of the greatest persecutors of the church and rose as one of the greatest proclaimers of the gospel who wrote much of the New Testament. And it wasn't until he surrendered that he became an example and somebody worth following. And Paul says that he was shown mercy so that those who are far from God, who are the worst of sinners, might see the immense patience and love God has for them. You see, we don't have the power to deem anyone hopeless in terms of conversion. Right? The Lord can truly change and transform anybody's life. I really do believe that. But it starts with being willing to surrender. You see, my greatest fear in the church, my greatest fear in student ministry, is that we get to a place where we know all the right things about God. We know that God created the world. We know that God so loved people that he sent his one and only son to the cross so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life that we know that God has a plan for our lives, that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that we know all the right things about God. But we get to the point where we're okay living in sin. A place where we know all the right things about God, but we choose to say that you're not worth it. You see, this is my greatest fear because it's ultimately been my life. And so as you get to know me, as our students get to know me, there's probably a few things that you know, um, you may already know that I really love. Number one, I, I hope, first of all, that you know that I love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you know nothing about me, I hope that is the one thing that you know. Second of all, I hope that you know that I love my family and my friends. I love hanging out with people. Anytime I get to go home and see my family, it's always an amazing blessing. Third, I love all things related to sports. I can talk about the Boston Celtics or Duke basketball all day long. It's one of my absolute favorites. Um, I also love coffee, and I will do just about anything to find a good cup of coffee. And I, you can just about count on that I will always have a cup of coffee in my hands. And if I don't, you should be concerned. <clears throat> and lastly, I love ranch. I believe ranch is one of the greatest condiments on the face of this earth, and I will debate you on that if you want to. Now, here's the thing. Ranch goes on just about anything. I believe ranch, of course, goes on salads. That's a given um, but ranch also goes on pizza, on chicken fingers, on fries, on burgers. Are you hungry yet? Ranch goes on everything. Now, there's a few things that I really don't like. Okay, first of all, I do not like to lose. I will do whatever it takes so that I don't ever lose. Second of all, <clears throat> I don't like people talking when I'm talking. That's just the facts. I don't know. It's just, it's like that. And lastly, I don't like mayonnaise. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And by saying I don't like mayonnaise, I mean I hate mayonnaise. Like it is the nastiest condiment ever created. I can't even like smell it. And people here at Woodlawn think it's really funny to send me pictures of, of mayonnaise and stuff that goes with it because they know it just makes me sick. Um, now, <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but ranch is made up of 80% mayonnaise. <clears throat> and I have a hard time believing that, but apparently that's the facts. Now, the thing that I'm called to hate the most, I actually didn't even mention. And that's our sin. And the problem with our sin is that our sin looks a lot like ranch and not enough like mayonnaise. And if we aren't careful, we will allow our sin to shipwreck our faith. So we keep reading in verse 18. Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this command in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the battle well holding on to faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and so have suffered shipwreck with regard to the faith. So how do we prevent ourselves from shipwrecking our faith? 
in our relationships, in our marriages, in our families, in high school, in college? Well, first of all, we must be willing to surrender. And point number two is this. We must be willing to fight the battle well. You see, the battle is won or lost in our minds. There's not a physical battle going out here, but the battle is won or lost in our minds, and the enemy wants to infiltrate our thoughts and tell us things that are not true and lies about who God is and what his character is like and what he's doing. And that's why Philippians 4.8 tells us that whatever's true, whatever's right, whatever's lovely, whatever's noble, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. We've got to pay attention to our thinking. You see, before Eve ate of the fruit in Genesis chapter 3, she had a thought that it was pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom. Before David sinned, he had a thought. That is a beautiful woman. Before Jesus went to the cross, he had a thought. Not my will, but yours be done. You see, Jesus gives us the ultimate picture of what it looks like to truly surrender and to fight the battle well. And how we think ultimately shapes how we live our life. Do you know that? How we think shapes how we live. Which is why 2 Corinthians 10.5 tells us to take every thought captive, every single thought captive, and make it obedient to Christ. So how do we prevent ourselves from shipwrecking our faith? Point number three is this. We must hold on to our faith in a good conscience. And so you may be wondering, well, what does it look like to hold on to your faith? How do you even do that? Well, I believe that Hebrews 12, 1 through 2, gives us a great example of what it looks like to hold on to our faith. It says this, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and this is actually referring back to um, Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith. And so you see all these people who live their lives by faith. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. That's the key right there, fixing our eyes on Jesus. When I was playing basketball, one of my favorite drills that we would do is that we would stand on the baseline and our coach would stand at about the three-point line. And so we would be in a really good low position dribbling the ball, like the position where your legs are on fire, like that one. And so you're dribbling the ball as fast as you can. And she would hold up numbers and call out her name. And so if you didn't say the correct number or you didn't say it fast enough, you had to drop the ball and run. And the point of this drill was to get us to look up. You see, the best basketball players never have to look down to see where the ball is. They know where the ball is. But they're able to look up and to see the court and to see the open pass and the open players and to see and read the defense. And that's what our faith needs to look like as well. So often I feel like we get stuck right here. That we look down and we see the impossible. We look down and see some really bad things going on. And we get so discouraged. But we've got to learn to look up. And to fix our eyes on Jesus. You see, if our eyes are truly fixated on Jesus, we won't allow our circumstances or our sin or our past to shipwreck our faith. As I think back on 2021, it was a really tough year. There are a lot of things that happened that I would have never, ever, ever saw coming. And, and I really feel like for me, 2021 was a test of my faith. Did I really believe the word of God or was that just something I knew how to repeat and tell people? 
And so in February of 2021, the um, first Wednesday, I decided to resign from the place that I was serving. And so I put out my resignation letter on the Wednesday of February, the first Wednesday in February, and it was going to work through the end of February. And so on Friday of that same week of the first week in February, um, I woke up and my eye was blurry. And I was like, man, I must be still sleeping. Like, this is crazy. And so Saturday it was blurry, Sunday it was blurry, Monday it was blurry, and I'm like, man, I really need some new glasses or something. I don't know why I can't really see. And so I finally got in to the doctor, and um, they started doing all these, you know, tests, and I just thought, wow, this is a very, you know, intensive eye exam. Like, I've never had all these pictures taken of my eye and all these things. And so I went back and sat um, in the doctor's office, and he asked me if I had any family in town. And I was like, no, I don't have any family. And he was like, well, do you have any friends? And I'm like, I have one friend. <laughs> and so I didn't really have a whole bunch of community at this place that I was serving. And so I'm like, I've got one. And he was like, well, I think you should call them. And I'm like, call them? Why would I call somebody? And I'm thinking, okay, maybe my eyes are just so dilated that I can't see to drive home. But I'm like, that sounds ridiculous. And he said, well, after running some tests, we've discovered that you have bleeding and swelling behind your left eye. And at that moment, it was like everything in me sank. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, I couldn't even like process what that meant. And the only thing I could conjure up to say was, is it bad? And I know that's like a terrible question to ask, but literally nothing else came to my mind. And he was originally facing the computer and he turned around and looked at me dead in the face and said, well, it's not good. And I was like, oh, okay. And so in that moment, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, what is about to happen with my life? First of all, I'm about to not have a job. I'm about to not have insurance. Um, I may not be able to see again. I may never have a platform for ministry. I mean, all the things are just like spiraling out of control. And again, this is why it's so important to take every thought captive, right? Because I could get, I could end up in a dark place really, really fast. And so he walked out for a second and I took out my phone and, and I just recently learned a song and, you know, I love music and so I love listening to all kinds of songs. And so anyways, it's a song by Matt Brock called Still I Will Praise You. And if you've never heard it, you really should go listen to it or even just read the lyrics. It is super powerful. And um, basically the song is saying like, you know, Jesus, I've been reaching out. I've been talking to you, but you're not listening. Like, are you even there? Like, it's wondering all those things. Like, do you even care about my life? Which is exactly how I felt in that moment. But this is what the bridge says. It says, still I will praise you. I don't need a reason. Your presence is enough. Forever you'll have my hallelujah. No matter the season, my song will never stop. Forever you'll have my hallelujah. And that song became a song that I listened to literally every single day, all day for like months and months. And so I decided that day that no matter what happened in my life, no matter if I never had a platform for ministry ever again, that I would make my life count and choose to trust and to believe the Lord. You see, in that moment, everything was up in the air. Like, did I really believe that God was good or those were just words I knew how to say? Did I really believe that God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose? Or is that just clever poetry I read in Romans 8? Did I believe that God really has a plan and he never wastes our wounds? Or is that just something I knew how to tell students? Everything I ever believed about the Lord was standing still in that moment. 
And so it went on for months and months of me going to different specialists and getting an MRI and all the things and hearing you might have a brain tumor, you may have MS, you may be permanently blind, all these things. And I'm like, wow, I would have never envisioned any of this as a 26-year-old. And so long story short, as I look back on it, it's really an incredible thing. And so as the bleeding and swelling happened, it didn't actually go over the macula of my eye because if it did, I would be permanently blind in my left eye. But it went around it. And so I have lost some peripheral vision in my left eye, but I can still see. And if that's not a sign of the goodness and the faithfulness of God, I don't know what ever will be. You see, it'll never be enough for us to proclaim Christ with our lips, but to deny him with our lifestyles. We've never been called to be like everyone else, but we've been called to be set apart and to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so my challenge for you and for myself is don't allow your circumstances to shipwreck your faith, but instead allow Christ to wreck your life for his honor and glory by being willing to surrender, by fighting the battle well, and by holding on to your faith. You see, the good news is, is that there's no better time than to start today, January 2nd, 2022. This new year truly could be the new you. And so this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never chosen to, to follow him all the days of your life, or maybe you have and you, you know, have grown a little bit far from your faith, man, I invite you to, to choose to follow him today or to rededicate your life to him. And let me tell you, there's no better conversation than to stand next to someone and to hear them say, I want to follow Jesus. I can, I can promise you, I can recount every single person I've had the honor and the privilege of standing next to as they've made that decision. And so this morning, the invitation is open, and we invite you to respond. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We just thank you for this day. We thank you for this time together. And God, we thank you that we get to come together and to worship you and to sing praises about who you are. And God, we have seen your goodness and we've seen your faithfulness. And God, we are trusting you for immeasurably more. God, we know that you are going to work and move in this place. And so, God, what an awesome opportunity for us to be able to sit back and watch. And so, God, I know that trials are a part of life, that hard things happen. But, God, would you help us to respond well? Would you help our eyes to be fixated on you so that no matter what happens or what comes our way, we will not be shaken? Because we trust you and we believe you. So God, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and that it'll never return to you empty, but it will accomplish the purpose for which you sent it. So God, we are grateful. We love you and we pray all these things in your name. Amen.